Hi, I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skip Don Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to be talking about the Tears for Fears song, Mr. Pessimist, from the 1993 album Elemental. interesting tidbit about this album is that this is the album that I was listening to when I had the idea for Skipped on Shuffle. So I was, I was walking in the city I live in. I was walking from one place to another and I was listening to some music on my headphones and a song from this album came on. I don't remember which one, but it was a song on this album. And I said to myself, Oh my God, I love this album. And I love this song, whichever one it was. And I said to myself, I wish more people listened to this album because it's kind of like, you know, shuffled aside when when people talk about Tears for Fears. And I said to myself, what should I do? And how should I get people to listen to this? And I thought about writing a blog or whatever. And that's when I had the idea for a podcast and called up Jason and and talked about it. And we said, oh, this is a great idea. We should totally do this. So this, this album is particularly interesting, not just from the perspective of like all the stuff we're going to talk about today, but also personally, because this is kind of what started it all. I would trace the beginning of Skipped on Shuffle earlier to one conversation Scott and I had where we said there should be a we should start a band and we should just play deep cuts. <laughs> oh yeah, that's <laughs> just right. All, yeah. Just all deep cuts. We yeah. would be like amazingly unpopular. <laughs> so I'm glad that the podcast is where where things ended up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because rather we, than playing in front of ten people, like <laughs> yeah, a bunch right. of songs, be like, here's another one you're not gonna know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but uh, Tears for Fears is, is is an amazing group and a hugely influential group for me personally and one of my absolute favorites. And we're going to talk a lot about uh, how Tears for Fears kind of gets kind of gets passed over when you're talking about, you know, uh, the monumental bands from the 80s or even the, the most important bands that have come out in the past like 50 years. You know, this band kind of gets kind of gets glossed you know just kind of set aside like it's not that important we're going to talk a lot about that we're going to talk about why this album stands out so much from the rest of the tears for fears catalog and we're especially going to talk about how angry and bitter this album is towards one member of the group to the other so uh so yeah we're going to dive deep into how this all works but first let's talk a little bit about the history of tears for fears because that's really important to understanding where this song mr pessimist and the album that it comes on uh is coming from your precious Like magic There are two primary members of the band Tears for Fears. The first is Roland Orzabal, who primarily plays guitar and sings many of the lead vocal tracks. Orzabal is also the lead songwriter of the group, writing or co-writing all of the band's biggest hits. The second member of the group is Kurt Smith, who primarily plays bass guitar and performs backing vocals. He also handles lead vocal duties on a few songs, most notably the band's signature hit, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. 
So Orzabal and Smith met as high school students in the city of Bath in England in 1975. They played together in a few bands before eventually each joining at separate times a band called Graduate. Graduate was a mod revival band sounding similar to artists such as Elvis Costello and Joe Jackson. The group's first single was called, and this is not a joke, Elvis Should Play Ska. Check out a clip of that track right here. Graduate, surprisingly, had some minor success (laughs) and did a few tours. However, Roland and Kurt did not like touring due to the fact that the band had little money and thus no roadies. At the end of a particularly grueling tour, Roland and Kurt both quit Graduate. That band continued on, replacing Kurt and Roland, and they did stuff for a short while before eventually going their separate ways. So... Roland and Kurt are back home and without a band and decide to join forces as a duo. They agreed they would act as a nucleus of the group and bring in session players for recording and playing live. The two named their band History of Headaches at first, which is a really bad name, but then settled on Tears for Fears, which is a much better name. Both names are related to primal scream therapy, which we need to talk about because uh, this is really essential to understanding like what Tears for Fears is and, and, and how the band sounds. So in the late 1960s, there's a man named Arthur Janov, and he develops a new type of psychotherapy that he calls primal therapy. His theory was basically that all our problems in life stem from childhood trauma, which at the time we had no way to express. Those emotions are repressed, but they bubble up in life through physical and emotional violence inflicted upon oneself or others. To counteract this, Janov encouraged patients to process pain by screaming, getting hysterical, or even inflicting violence in controlled environments. By going through these sessions, patients could, in theory, send out those emotional issues for good. Both Roland and Kurt were fascinated by this and very much believed it to work. The two likely learned about primal therapy when famous musicians, especially John Lennon, took it in the 1970s. The duo decided to build their band around this idea, and even the name Tears for Fears is a subtle reference to primal therapy. It's important to note that primal therapy is not accepted by the medical community. This is something that this guy came up with and thought it was going to be, you know, a a revolution. It was going to change the way everybody approached, you know, therapy in general, but it has very little effective rate and his experiments that he has done and his papers that he's written are all totally debunked by the scientific community. So it's not a real thing that people actually should be doing. But at this time when he came up with it, we didn't know that. And so it was like this popular fad of a, of a movement kind of thing. Like we said, like famous people were doing it. And uh, so it, it became like this, this thing, but it, it's not actually real. So please don't don't go out and do primal therapy because it's not going to work. <laughs> well, I mean, if you want to scream in your own I mean, home, yeah. who, who am I to? <laughs> so anyway, the band now has a, a concept in place of what they want to be doing. The duo starts writing and recording music on a friend's eight-track recorder. Eventually, demos they recorded earned them a record deal, and they went into a professional studio to record their first album, The Hurting, the title of which is another obvious primal therapy reference. 
The cover of The Hurting shows a young boy sitting with his head in his hands, apparently crying. The first single from that album is one of the band's most famous songs called Mad World. All around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, frightened to live for their daily races, going nowhere, going nowhere. Their tears are filling up their glasses, no expression, no expression. Have my head, I want to drown my sorrow. You may have actually heard Mad World without realizing it as the song was covered for the Donnie Darko soundtrack and had a whole second life in that incarnation. So if you hear the original one, though, it's it's very different and sounds very, very 80s as opposed to slow, sad piano ballad. I don't want to belabor this too much, but even the lyrics of Mad World allude to primal therapy. There are also other songs in the record that reference it, such as Suffer the Children, Memories Fade, Watch Me Bleed, and Start of the Breakdown. Really uplifting stuff. <laughs> anyway, The Hurting achieved great success, even earning a number one position on the UK album charts in 1983. By the end of that year, Tears for Fears had several hit singles and a best-selling album under its belt. In early 1984, the band went back into the studio to record their second album. The first single from the album, Mother's Talk, fared okay but was ultimately disappointing. However, the second single from the album, Shout, was an immediate hit and went on to top the charts all around the world. Again, the connection to Primal Therapy, pretty clear there. Shout, shout, let it all out. <laughs> that second album, called Songs from the Big Chair, produced two other international chart-topping hits, including Head Over Heels and, of course, what is arguably the band's signature song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Songs from the Big Chair was not only the biggest album the band would ever release, but it was also one of the biggest albums of the entire decade, outselling records by Tom Petty, Van Halen, and even Madonna. That's right. This album sold more than Madonna's debut album. Like, that's just insane. Like, I love that. I love this album, but I never would have guessed yeah. that it was in that like echelon of sales. Yeah. So uh, the, the Tom Petty album, um, Full Moon Fever which has Free Fallen and Running Down a Dream, all those big hits from the 80s for Tom Petty, This did not sell as much as, as Songs from the Big Chair. It's crazy. After the promotional touring for that album was done, Tears for Fears took a short break and then started working on their next record. One thing Roland noticed was that due to the heavy electronics and synths used in their sound up until that point, the band played all their songs on tour the same way every night. To counteract this, Roland wanted to make a record that was more organic, which would allow the band to have more freedom with the music on stage. 
Work on this third album was tough, though, with expectations very high after the enormous success of the second record. Roland took over nearly every aspect of the group at this point, laboring for long hours in the studio, trying to get everything to sound just the way he wanted it. Where Kurt had lead vocal duties on several songs from the second record, including Everybody Wants to Rule the World, the third album barely features Kurt at all due to he and Roland not seeing eye to eye on how everything should sound. That third album, called The Seeds of Love, featured another fairly large hit for the band, appropriately called Sowing the Seeds of Love. You'll notice that this song does not sound much like anything you've heard up until this point, though. Although the Seeds of Love did very well in the charts, it didn't even come close to matching songs from The Big Chair or even their first album, The Hurting. By the end of the promotional tour for that record, the relationship between Kurt and Roland had soured to the point where Kurt quit the band. Although Roland was the main songwriter and primary creative force of the group, the absence of Kurt left the band's future in question. So Roland decided to continue on as a solo act, but still use the Tears for Fears name. In 1993, four years after the release of The Seeds of Love, Roland released the first Tears for Fears record without Kurt, which was called Elemental. That record features the song we're going to talk about today, Mr. Pessimist. Elemental didn't do very well on the charts, at least not by Tears for Fears standards. It did have one minor hit, though, in the song Break It Down Again. So those are my dreams, and these are my eyes, stand tall like a After Elemental, in 1995, Roland released another Tears for Fears album called Raul and the Kings of Spain, which fared even worse than Elemental, having no major singles from it. After that, he released a solo album in 2001 under his own name, titled Tomcat Screaming Outside, which only got a limited release with no major singles either. Shortly before the release of his solo record, Roland and Kurt were forced to reestablish contact after nearly a decade of avoiding each other. This was due to some contractual issues related to the band. Surprisingly, Kurt jumped on a plane and flew back home to England. Kurt was living in the United States at this time, and he actually still lives in the United States today. He got back on a plane and flew to England just to have dinner with Roland. During that meetup, they decided to try writing some new songs together to see what happened. Four years later, in 2004, the band released the most recent Tears for Fears record, cheekily called Everybody Loves a Happy Ending. Aww. That record has a similar sound to The Seeds of Love, but still failed to do well on the charts. The song Closest Thing to Heaven gives you an idea of the sound of the record overall. What am I gonna do? There's been a lot of drinking, looking at ghosts of you.
Since that record, Tears for Fears has released some compilations, a few new songs here and there, and toured extensively, including a major double headlining tour with Hall & Oates. But a seventh record still has no release date, even though it's been over 15 years at this point. However, let's go back to 1993 and talk about what happened right after Kurt quit the band and Roland's state of mind while he made the record Elemental, on which the song Mr. Pessimist appears. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped on Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. So we're back at the time of Elemental, which, again, to rehash the context that we're in, Kurt has just left the band. Roland is moving on with the Tears for Fears name by himself, struggling to kind of find a direction for the band, despite being very meticulous in the studio, because he had worked very hard on sowing the seeds of love, kind of taking a more controlling influence. And that album was not nearly as successful as their previous two records. So at this point, he's kind of going into the studio a little lost. And I feel like even on the album cover, you sort of get the sense of loss and wander. So when you when you see the cover of this album, it's Roland head down, framed far to the left where there's a large empty space that presumably we would imagine would be filled by Kurt. But he's not there. But he's not there. <laughs> it's a very, yeah, it's a very stark album cover that just kind of sends home a message. Like, I don't know. I, I guess it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of a way of their first record with The Hurting, whereas, you know, the, as I mentioned mm, earlier, there's, yeah. a, there's a small boy with a head in his hands looking sad. And on this cover, you see Roland looking down in a fairly, what one would assume is a sad pose or at least a reflective pose yeah. of some kind. Yeah. And then nothing there's nothing around him kurt's not there so it's it it there's a statement being made right from the beginning on the album cover that what you're getting from elemental is not going to be what has been before this is not going to be the tears for fears that you have known because something is missing yeah and especially the song break it down again kind of you know saying to yourself i'm starting over i need to take everything figure this out and decide what it is that I'm doing. And, and, and yeah, it's a weird thing to that. He kept the tears for fear his name. I would imagine a lot of it is partly, you know, contractual obligations. I'm sure they must've been like, well, you still owe us three more albums. And I'm sure it would have been hard to be like, well, I'll just do solo stuff and then, you know, figure it out. Cause at the time I'm sure he had no expectations that Kurt was ever going to come back in the, into the fold. And yeah, I can't imagine what it would be like striking out on your own from a band that's already sort of on the decline sounds harsh, 
but certainly, you know, struggling to keep up with or their earlier success. A, a band, uh, maybe the best way to put it would be like a band that knows it's already peaked. Mm, like, I yeah. mean, how are you? Yeah. I mean, Songs from the Big Chair was so massive. Everybody Wants to Rule the World is such a massive track. Shout, Head Over Heels, all these songs are so like defining of the decade that they're in. It must be so weird to be like, well, like we're and, like we're never going to do that again. And that's important too is changing music tastes. I mean, at the time, like the hurting and songs from the big chair come out that the sound that they have makes sense carrying that sound forward. I mean, even though um, Seeds of Love sounds a little different in some ways, still trying to carry a similar sound forward now in an era of you know grunge and yeah uh, all that other stuff must be difficult as well yeah because you you i mean this is so elemental came out in 1993 so nirvana is already yeah you're in yeah yeah we're already we're already in nirvana territory and so tears for fears is you know i i feel like nirvana is constantly it's, it's usually said that nirvana killed hair metal but Nirvana killed the 80s in general. Like Nirvana took that 80s sound, that glossy, electronic, big, happy, everything is great sound and made it like, no, everything's not great. It's dirty. It's awful. Here's some some angry music about that. And so Tears for Fears, it kind of, yeah, probably Roland probably found himself being like, okay, like I can't just keep doing what I had been doing. I have to go in a new direction and I have to adopt some of the sound that's going on right now, which is why you hear a lot more guitar on this record on Elemental. You hear a lot more, a lot more, I mean, because Tears Fears has always been doing layered production, but it's much more organic. It's like you can tell like a real band played someone. Yeah, someone came in, played this instrument, yeah, as this, opposed to someone programmed this to be going in the background. Right. And, yeah. So it, it he it's very clear that Roland is 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 being very reflective and trying to figure out what am I going to do with this band now? Now that you know Kurt's not here, things have changed. Whatever. So what he does is, is he builds a studio called Neptune's Kitchen and builds it on his property. So it's at his house. And he has these two guys come over and they just make this record at his home. Like very, very relaxed atmosphere, just kind of like creating as they go, laying down a track, writing a song, doing whatever. Very loose kind of feel to it. And since they're in his home studio, they don't have the, the pressure of like, you know. No one's oh, like, we're spending this much money every yeah, day that you're working. Every, yeah. every hour that you're here costs us X amount of dollars. You know, it's just very fluid kind of thing and and that that helps I'm sure that that's him that he probably did that deliberately because he's like I need space to figure this all out because this is really you know I've got a lot to figure out here and especially and, the intention of the band originally just being two members you're bringing in session musicians so it might take you a while to be like oh well you're playing this can you play it a little bit different and you know I have unlimited options and I can kind of tell people, you know, what to do. It probably takes a while to arrive at something. I I mean, I immediately thought of like Steely Dan, right? Where you have, you know, two people and they're like, we're going to bring people in and try out basically every combination of things possible until we figure it out. What, what we want to hear. Right. Which is, you know, maybe not the way that, that, that Tears of Fears had operated, at least at the beginning. At the beginning, it was the two of them with a drum machine and some synthesizers and like, just like creating it all together and then, you know, hiring a guy to come in and play this track because maybe he's a better drummer or he's a better this or a better that. And then doing it and then going out on tour and playing those songs pretty much the way that they that they wrote them. Now it's like, well, you know, what do you do? So it's like, yeah, it, it is almost interesting to think that like 
like you said earlier, maybe they had to, you know, he had to do this because Tears for Fears was was contractually obliged. Like you have to release another Tears for Fears record or whatever. Or maybe it was because he was like, if I go out on tour, you know, to promote this stuff and it's just under my name, it won't be successful. I don't want to go back. You know, we mentioned early on that they quit their first band graduate because they hated the touring, grueling, you know, being on the road and not having any money kind of thing. Maybe he was nervous that he'd have to go back to doing something mm. like that if he didn't tour under the Tears for Fears name. But still, it, it, when you listen to this record as a whole, you really get the feeling that it's it's Roland kind of discovering where he wants to go with the band now that he's at this crossroads. song we're going to talk about today mr pessimist is an interesting track on elemental in that i feel like there's only one thing missing that would make it fit well on songs from the big chair you know tears for fears biggest record the only thing that's missing from this track is a saxophone i feel like if there was a saxophone on this track and you took it and put it onto songs from the big chair it would fit fairly well whereas the rest of the tracks on this album i feel like you could not do that with musically speaking i feel like it would fit well but if you were looking at the lyrics you'd be like whoa this song gets really angry <laughs> yeah lyrically <laughs> lyrically across the whole record the it doesn't fit well with what they've been talking about i feel like the first two records the hurting and songs from the big chair are almost all about primal therapy all the songs are are related to childhood trauma letting out that childhood trauma processing through what you went through as a, as a kid and and getting through that like that's that's it. Like that's what everything is about. Whereas on this one, that is not the case. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna dive in deep to the lyrics of this one because it gets pretty juicy. But uh, but in general, as one might expect, almost every song on this record is related to Roland's relationship with Kurt deteriorating and being very very angry and I would say bitter, like very bitter towards Kurt and the breakup. So Roland has a lot of digs towards Kurt in the song, or so we think. Uh, it's kind of hard to come away with any other impression when there's lyrics like evangelistic brother should be banging a tambourine. Go wash your hands and fingers till your mind is clean. Damn. <laughs> I mean, so, so, so I, I, I think it's important to mention with that line that, that, you know, Kurt is not a songwriter. Well, he is a songwriter, but he doesn't primarily write the songs, but he is a competent bass player and he does, he is a competent singer. He sings, you know, the lead on everybody wants to rule the world, mad world advice for the young at heart. Like a lot of major tears for fear singles are him singing the lead. So it's not like he's not a good musician or not a good player. And Kurt and, and Roland in this song is like, like you go should play your tambourine. You should be playing a tambourine. Like that's, that's cold, man. <laughs> The song actually made me think a lot about a John Lennon song called How Do You Sleep, which is on John Lennon's big Imagine record. And throughout that song, it's just insult after insult hurled at Paul McCartney, you know, his former bandmate in the Beatles. And I, I immediately think of that song when I when I listen to the song in terms of just pretty much every line is just taking some kind of dig at his former bandmate and asking questions like what makes a man so fickle who put the daggers in those eyes. Was it to learn through dark days of struggle? 
was it to burn to burst all our bubbles so i mean pretty even though roland might be the reason why kurt might feel i i I guess he's almost projecting his own bitterness onto kurt i mean we don't know what they said at the end of this relationship to be like you were so angry with me why were you so angry but clearly roland kind of harbors those same feelings and i feel like especially to say to burst all our bubbles kind of blaming him for the 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 declining success of the band perhaps saying you know if if you were you know a partner with me and we were still here together we would be you know achieving those dreams but now those dreams are gone because you're gone and i'm left here to kind of pick up the pieces and and carry this thing forward is is kind of what stands out to me yeah and if you look i mean i i think that's that's definitely dead on with with what i imagine this song is about but even if you look at the the title of the track mr pessimist like i feel like that in itself is is a dig towards towards kurt and maybe roland like you said kind of blaming kurt and being like oh if you believed more in what tears for fears could do and if you took some of our you know the the maybe the the fact that the, the seeds of love album didn't do that well as compared to the previous records maybe if you looked forward and were more optimistic about like what we could do together maybe you wouldn't have left and maybe I wouldn't be sitting here in this studio in the back of my house trying to yeah, figure trying out what the to, hell yeah. I'm going to do you know i can sense that there's a lot of anger and maybe some of that anger is justified we don't know like i mean we do know that the band broke up and it was 10 years before they got back together again. It was 10 years. And the only reason they ended up getting back together was because they had to, because they had to talk about some sort of contract or whatever. So one can assume that whatever did happen was bad enough that, you know, that Kurt, uh, you know, Kurt doesn't talk to him and Roland writes this really angry record about it. Like, so something really bad happened. And I don't know what it is, but yeah, but it, it does make you feel like he's, yeah, maybe like projecting a little bit and being like, this is your fault, Kurt. And it also ties into the primal therapy thing of, you know, letting letting out your emotions and saying what you need to say. I mean, I'd mentioned the the John Lennon track and John Lennon had penned that track roughly around the same time that he was doing the primal therapy thing. So whether he took inspiration from that or just, you know, wrote wrote this on his own along with the rest of the record, just being like, well, I just need to say what's on my mind because this is how I'm feeling at the time. But I mean, there is some optimism in here there is there is a line still try to resist the pessimist the pessimist no no so trying to talk himself kind of through where even though you know it's about kurt he might be also admitting to myself maybe i am also you know mm, mr. Yeah. mr pessimist to an extent by feeling this way and feeling like i can't a- accomplish this i mean you must have to give yourself some kind of pep talk i assume being in a band when someone leaves and they had a, a big role to play in your band being like standing in the mirror and being like, no, you can do this. You're great. You're, <laughs> you know, you can, you can handle this. I, I feel like you must kind of have to go through that whole range of emotions of being like, I'm mad you're gone, but also like you got this, you can do this. You're, you're talented. You're great. I, I feel like you just have to like as, as silly as it sounds and maybe it manifests itself in different ways, but you must have to build up your confidence in some way. And maybe, you know, the easiest thing is just, uh, I'm going to write an angry track. And it's also a different direction for the band because, as as we mentioned, like, I mean, a lot of the other songs are, are dark in a lot of ways, but I feel like not as angry and bitter as, as this track is. That's kind of a new Tears for Fears sort of direction to go in, I think. 
So obviously this podcast is about this particular track, Mr. Pessimist, and I don't want to go too deep into the rest of the album, but it is important to mention that the rest of the album also has these similar themes. You definitely get a sense that the entire album is almost like a concept record, but about how much he hates Kurt. <laughs> so there are a couple of tracks on here that don't have that relation. There's uh, there, at least one we know of is is Cold. The second track on the album is is not geared towards Kurt. It's actually geared toward their their former manager who uh, and and you know we're not going to go into it, but the the manager you know lost a bunch of money and was mismanaging their funds and caused some major problems for the group. So you know he wrote this angry bitter song about the manager. But uh, there's another song on the tra- on the album called Fish Out of Water, which has a very very direct stanza that goes right towards Kurt. It gives you a better idea of what's going on here. So here we go. Uh, This is it. We used to sit and talk about primal scream. To exercise our past was our adolescent dream. But now it's sink or swim since your memory fails. Now in Neptune's kitchen, you will be food for killer whales. And as a reminder, Neptune's Kitchen is the name of the studio that's in the backyard of of Roland's house. So very clearly he's saying, you suck. (laughs) And if you ever come (laughs) around here, me and my bros are going to take you out. I mean, like, this is really, really angry. Like, he's super angry about this. But it's also important to note that after all this stuff, after all this bitterness, after all this insanity that goes on in this record, especially on Mr. Pessimist, the last track on the album, which is called Goodnight Song, is different. And it takes a weird shift and it's almost a cathartic ending to what we would imagine this journey that we go on with Kurt or with Roland as he talks about his anger at Kurt. So the song Goodnight Song that ends the album is essentially Roland singing about how he misses Kurt while he's on stage singing Tears for Fear songs that Kurt would normally sing. So in the song Goodnight Song, he actually has this line here. Here on the stage, the time has come with the strains of Be My Angels of Rock in 2-4. Time may keep alive that old swan song that we've been playing forever till the time may be right to say goodbye. So what I think he's mentioning here is that Tears for Fears at this time, they were they were usually ending their sets with Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which Kurt sings. But if Tears for Fears is playing now without Kurt, Roland sings it. And I think he's saying here that this feels weird, singing this song. So he, the, the song continues. And then at the end, at, in, 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 in the middle of the song here, he says, I should have stayed round to break the ice. I thought about it once or twice, but nothing ever changes unless there's some pain. So I think at the end of this album, at this song, Goodnight Song, he's gone through the, the rest of the songs on the record. He's super angry and super banging on Kurt and being how awful this whole thing is. But at the end, he's saying, you know, I, it, I miss you or, or it's not the same without you. Something's still missing and I can appreciate that. So in a way, really, once again, coming back to this is kind of like a concept album, if you think about it, of him going on this journey of bitterness and anger and then coming out the end and being like, you know, I should have stepped forward. I should have communicated with you. Maybe this wouldn't have happened if I had done that. I miss you. When I'm singing, everybody wants to rule the world. It doesn't feel right because this is your song and all this stuff. I don't know. I feel like it's a really interesting ending to a record like this.
As we mentioned at the top of the episode, Tears for Fears, for some reason, seems to fall through the cracks of music, for lack of kind of a, a better term. I mean, I've I've been a fan for a while because I knew all the radio hits, you know, the greatest hits I can put on and be like, this is, you know, fantastic. And honestly, Songs from the Big Chair is one of my favorite records to put on from beginning to end. It's just so polished and uplifting and so good. And it's funny because when you we when we were doing the research for this episode, we were looking up and we were like, oh, I wonder what, you know, lists this songs from the big chair is on because it's this huge album. As we mentioned, it sold, you know, tons of copies outselling other far more popular artists. And, you know, the like the Rolling Stones 500 greatest albums list that everyone kind of refers to a lot of the time. It doesn't even appear on there. Um, so it's just interesting how Cheers for Fears kind of gets a little forgotten for one reason or another. And honestly, I mean, even if someone was to ask me, you know, what what are, you know, some great 80s bands that you listen to, for some reason, like, I, I wouldn't immediately think of Tears for Fears. You know, I think of, like, other big bands at the time, like Duran Duran or In Excess, uh, people like that, where Tears for Fears sort of falls into that same vein, but they're definitely different. Um, and maybe it was because it's was just more of a like flash in the pan for this band where it's like they had, you know, three huge albums and then, you know, kind of disappeared a little bit and just things just kind of dissipated. So when you think of the time period, you kind of forget the impact that this band had at the time that this was a, a huge band playing giant stadiums and these were big radio hits and even mentioning songs from the big chair it's like shout everybody wants to rule the world head over heels and for an album that only has like eight tracks to have like three of those tracks be like monster hits that's kind of a a pretty notable thing so I i don't know what it is about this band i mean i i love them i hadn't listened to much beyond i hadn't listened to any of elemental um or anything until closest thing to heaven when when they got back together so i hadn't heard a lot of this stuff and it gives me even more appreciation i think for the band and the kind of sound that they have and what they do but i don't know what i I, the whole point of this podcast as as scott mentioned was to make people take another listen at some of these songs and some of these artists and i think if i was going to implore someone to listen to more tears for fears i don't know if you'd create those same kind of like deep connections that you have to to the Tears for Fears sound and to their music. I just feel like there's it's not like they're a superficial band. Like they're into like these deep ideas and craft really good music, but I feel like there's just something that doesn't it doesn't have a kind of adhesion that some other bands have. I feel like there's something about this band and maybe it's an issue of relatability in terms of the songs because as we mentioned you know a lot of these are about this primal therapy and maybe some of these songs are a little too abstract that they aren't as relatable as your typical songs that you'd hear like love songs or breakup songs or you know songs about what's going on in the world like maybe that maybe there's something that makes tears for fears a little bit too slippery so to speak if that that makes any kind of sense yeah I, i get what you're saying yeah yeah it's 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 if you think about the contemporary artists that you mentioned, like in excess or, or Duran Duran or, or whoever, you know, coming out of the eighties time period, you do think a lot about some pretty superficial stuff. You think about, you know, girls, breakups, you know, relationships, 
you know, whatever, not so much political, not so much the, the headier ideas that Tears for Fears not only wrote about, but like it developed their entire band around with this like primal therapy. And even though we did say like primal therapy is pretty much bullshit, like they, they fervently they bought into, in it. yeah, yeah, yeah. They fervently believed in it at the beginning and they were like, they thought it was important enough to like craft this entire band, the sound, the lyrics, everything, the album covers, everything was going to relate back to this, this primal therapy. And that's, that's something that's, that's pretty, pretty different for the eighties, you know, especially, and uh, it's pretty different for now. It's, 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 it's a very interesting thing to think about of, of a band that's like formulating around this one concept. So yeah, I think that, that, that it, it may not be the one reason there might be a lot of little reasons why tears for fears has kind of passed over as you said, but, uh, but yeah, I feel like that is at least that, one of them. Yeah. It makes it, makes it a little more limiting in some way to, to, outside listeners maybe even even if you're not consciously aware that that was a a thing going on for me tears for fears will always be one of the one of my favorite bands and one of the most important bands to me so this is a kind of cute little story when i was growing up i used to listen to the radio all the time and uh, tears for fears was obviously at the time that i was growing up i was born in 1983 so tears for fears was huge and there was always a tears for fears song on the radio every day and I used to, I was, I was so small, but I, I, I love the band so much. I used to, I used to call them tuna fears <laughs> and my mom, you know, uh, made several references to it. She would joke around. She'd be like, Oh, you know, don't you love that tuna fears band? I'm like, yeah, I love tuna fears. <laughs> and I think it, it's interesting because I, I, I continue to love tears for fears as, as I grew up and I, I never stopped liking them. I never grew out of them. You know, like, I feel like a lot of kids, they listen to a lot of just like pop garbage when they're growing up, you know, like whether it's the Backstreet Boys or Britney Spears or whatever, like, you know, you grow up listening to pop radio because it's easy and accessible and your parents allow you to listen to it. You know, it's not like dangerous in any way. And then you grow up and you're like, ah, this is stupid. Like I clearly, you know, this was, this was bad. And you might still like it for the sake of like, you know, nostalgia or whatever, you know, you might, you know, buy tickets to go to a Backstreet Boys concert because you're just like, oh my God, this is gonna be so much fun with my girlfriends. We're gonna go and we're gonna have, you know, have a hoot or whatever. But you can appreciate like, this music is not good. You know, like this is not real, you know, deep music. Whereas I was lucky that Tears for Fear is this band that I attached to as a kid actually was really good and actually was really deep. And uh, even, even when I started my own band years later and Jason and I, Jason actually picked up on this as well. I, I actually like my vocal delivery and my voice actually kind of sounds like Roland and Kurt's delivery and Tears for Fears. So, you know, I listen to, to, to my own music and I listen to the way I sing and I, I hear Tears for Fears in it. Like this band was so huge for me. And, 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 and it's really strange because I also feel the same way about them as you described, you know, just a, just a little bit ago about how they're kind of just like forgotten, you know, like everybody knows everybody wants to rule the world. There are probably people listening to this podcast who can recite the entire lyrics to everybody wants to rule the world. And they don't know nothing about the band or (laughs) they don't know anything about the band. They don't know anything about like what they stand for. They don't know the band members names. They don't know any of the songs and, you know, and I don't know. You, you buy a greatest hits record by them. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of different ones you can pick up and all of them, like you listen to a front to back, you're like, Oh my God, like I know this one. I know this one. I know this one. And, 
and I don't know. It's just, it's just crazy that they get passed over so much. So, uh, yeah, I, I feel a direct connection to tears for fears and this album elemental and Mr. Pessimist stands out to me as being a really interesting record of uh, like a document of a certain time and a certain emotion going through this songwriter's head. And it's very different from other tears for fears records. And, I, I would even argue that maybe he should have released it under his own name. Just this is a Roland Orzable record about the Tears for Fears breakup going through. That might have been more appropriate, but, you know, sometimes things don't work out that way. But I think it's a really interesting record to listen to. And I think there's a lot of stuff here for people to dig into. But I almost have to say that if I would encourage people to start at the beginning first, you know, like, I feel like you were saying, like with skipped on shuffle, we're kind of like trying to be like, Hey, you should check this out. You should check this out. But what we should really be saying at the end of this episode is saying, you should check out tears for fears. Like (laughs) you should stop ignoring them. You should stop passing them over. You should start thinking of the eighties and thinking of them because they were huge, huge. And they were important to, to people like me and they had these massive radio hits that, you know, you know and love. Like, why aren't you listening to them? You know, like, why are you not? Why are you still packing stadiums full of people to go see Depeche Mode or to go see the reunited 80s band of the moment or whatever? And Tears for Fears are not, you know, like, why? Why is that? And I think that's something that people should reflect on, especially if you already like a lot of tears for fear songs you should go back don't listen to elemental because there's a lot of stuff on here that's that's not quite you know going to match up with something but definitely go back and listen to songs from the big chair definitely go back and listen to the hurting from front to back and and understand the the depth of this group and 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 you might find something that you you didn't expect to find thank you for listening to this episode of skipped on shuffle Please visit our website at www.skippedonshuffle.com for more news about other episodes and our upcoming schedule. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Please visit skippedonshuffle.com for links to all of our social media pages.